Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And today, I am absolutely thrilled to welcome a whole new group of listeners today on Catholic Community Radio 1380 WPYR in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Welcome, Baton Rouge, the light of the East. Wow, what a crowd already. Enthusiastic listeners. We do hope you'll enjoy our program. Again, I'm thrilled to have you with us. I am Father Thomas Loya. This program is called Light of the East. You are coming in to our Light of the East program at a very remarkable time, a very auspicious occasion, those of you who are new listeners and those of you who have been longtime listeners because on our liturgical calendar, the Byzantine Catholic Church, we celebrate this Sunday, today, the Seventh Ecumenical Council. Now, I'm going to explain to you why that's important and significant, but I'm going to back up just a little bit. And since we are talking about a council, which is a gathering of people, I'm going to gather together some of our other faithful listeners. In addition to our new ones from Baton Rouge, I'd like to do a little hello, a little greeting, a little glory to Jesus Christ, as we say in the Byzantine Church and here at Light of the East, to some of our other great faithful listeners and good friends of Light of the East Radio from all over the country. Kathy Miller from Minnesota, Jonathan Dean from San Diego, William Radovich from the Chicago area, Sonia, our good friend Sonia from California, Charles Cook way up there in Saginaw, Michigan and Deacon Lawrence from Michigan, as well as his pastor, Father Joe Marquis. And also, all of you listening in the Akron, Canton, Cleveland, Ohio area, which is the center of my eparchy, which is the word for diocese in the Byzantine Church. All of you there in Ohio listening on Living Bread Radio. And also, our good friend, longtime friend, Jack Liu. Jack, if you can still hear us, I know you've moved on to other things, wonderful things. I believe Jack is entering religious life. I'd like to think that maybe Light of the East may have had something to do with fostering that vocation. He was a really an original, long-time enthusiastic listener out there in California, Jack Lou. Hello to you, and God bless you in all of your life's journey. And also, a very special hello and our prayers, as always, all of you who are prisoners, who are listening, who oftentimes write to us, especially our good friends, Brothers D and Brothers M out in California. Haven't heard from you for a little while, but I trust you're still with us, and it's difficult for me to get back to all of you, but Please know that you are in our hearts, our minds, and our prayers here at Light of the East. So once again, welcome to our listeners in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and also welcome and hello to all of you faithful listeners out there, especially the ones I mentioned. For those of you who are new, and even those of you who have been listening to us for a while, it's always good to kind of touch base again. You know, the World Series is coming up, you know, baseball's on our minds, as well as football, but you know, they're sort of like the home base, you always have to tag up, you always have to have that touchstone. It's one interesting thing I like about baseball. It kind of reminds me of 
an aspect of spirituality. We always have to kind of come home again, spiritually speaking, got to touch that base. And so we're going to touch base a bit about the Eastern churches, the Eastern Christian spirituality. Who are we and why are we different? John Paul II wrote a marvelous document, an apostolic letter in 1995 called Orientale Lumen. And that's translated, it's Latin, it's translated Light of the East. Sound familiar? That's right. It's where we get the name of this program. And in that document, he talked about the Eastern churches. And he said how Latin Rite Catholics, more commonly known as Roman Catholics, are urged to learn about the Eastern Catholic churches, which is why it's good you're listening to this program, especially if you are a Latin Rite Catholic, a Roman Catholic. And he said for two reasons. One reason was for the sake of unity in the church, because the church has to breathe with both lungs, east and west, and also to be nourished by the riches of the Eastern Catholic churches and the Eastern Orthodox churches. In other words, the whole Eastern lung of the church. What we do in this program is we present the riches of the whole church, east and west, primarily, of course, the Eastern churches, the Eastern lung of the church. Now, what we mean by an Eastern Catholic, and in particular, myself as a Byzantine Catholic, especially for those of you who are new to our program, is basically this. Think of the church as being one church, one basic belief, but expressed in a variety of different ways. Now, this happened because when the apostles went to every corner of the world, in every direction, they had the wisdom guided by the Holy Spirit to adopt the expressions of the cultures to which they went. In other words, if they went as missionaries, as apostles, evangelizers to the east, the faith took on the character of the culture in which the apostles and later on the missionaries were in. If they went west, it took on the character of the western culture. In other words, the way of thinking, kind of the worldview, the ethos, you know, how you look at things from your heart, from the inside out. There are actually differences, and primarily those differences break down into an eastern perspective and a western perspective. Now, we're seeing, unfortunately, a kind of a clash, a great tension between East and West in our world today. Unfortunately, when you look at global politics, you look at the secular sphere, unfortunately, you see this clash of East and West, of terrorism, Islam extremists versus Western civilization, and so on. But actually, this is supposed to be complementary, much like the human race, where we have man and woman. Both are human, but they experience that same humanness through two complementary ways, a feminine way and a masculine way. Well, civilization and the church are the same way. The church expresses itself, the one same belief and faith expresses itself in fundamentally two approaches, an Eastern approach and a Western approach. But there are a number of expressions of those two approaches. For instance, in the Western lung of the church, what is most known is the Latin rite, but it's not the only rite of the church. There are a couple more rites in the church, such as the Ambrosian rite. There are very few in the Western church, the Western lung of the church, and they're very small compared to the Latin rite. The Latin rite is the largest and most known. There is more than one rite in the Western lung of the church. Now, in the East, that's where we have many more rites and jurisdictions. In the East, there are a number of different rites, such as the Byzantine rite, the Maronite rite, the Cyril-Malabar rite, Cyril-Malachar rite, and so on. There's about eight specific rites in the Eastern church, and within those rites, there are various jurisdictions. I know it sounds a little bit complicated, but that's how the church developed, because it's based on enculturating. In other words, enculturating, incarnating the Word of God, Jesus Christ, the one faith, the one church, incarnated into these various diverse cultures and ways of thinking, of worldview. And so in the East, you have a number of rites, and rites are venerable ancient traditions. In other words, ways, very deep, venerable, serious, very serious ways of expressing a particular 
faith, a particular worldview. It goes beyond, it's almost like if you think of it as tradition, it's beyond more than just, say, you know, candles on a birthday cake or something like that. It's, it, it means, tradition in this sense means ways and customs that a peoples have and have had for a long time that express deep realities, the deepest realities. Those things become traditions, but not in the superficial sense, in a very deep and serious sense. And from those traditions, there are different styles. In other words, styles of art, styles of dress, styles of liturgy, prayers, ways of praying, gestures, icons, art, all kinds of things that are expressions of those traditions, of those worldviews. And there are those same things in the West, especially the Latin Rite, and there are those same things in the East, among the many Eastern rites and jurisdictions. So in my case, to give you an example, I am a member of the Eastern Lung of the Church, as John Paul II would say. In particular, I'm a member of the Byzantine Catholic Church, and Byzantine refers to the Byzantine Empire, which is in now modern-day Turkey. But centuries ago, it was called Byzantium. And Constantine, the head of the Roman Empire, moved the center of the Roman Empire from Rome to Byzantium. He was very, very impressed with that city at the time. And he moved it there, and he renamed the city Constantinople. And then he later became Christian, and from that time on, his empire, the Byzantine Empire, became Christian, and developed their own unique spirituality, a way of expressing that Christianity, that newfound Christianity. Well, this is going on about the fourth century. Well, from that point on, missionaries from the Byzantine Empire, these Christian missionaries, began to missionize, and they began to go to different parts of the world, especially they went up into the areas that we now know as Central and Eastern Europe and Russia, in other words, the Slavic lands, places where people who live who are, as we know them today, Ukrainian, Slovak, Hungarian, Romanian, Bulgarian, Macedonian, and Russian, those areas of the world. And they brought their Byzantine style of Christianity with them. Well, my particular family heritage comes from that area of the world. Therefore, my church comes from that area of the world. In other words, immigrants from the areas of Slovakia and Ukraine and Hungary came to America starting in the, about the 1880s and 1890s, and they followed the Byzantine Rite. They were Catholic, but they were of the Byzantine Rite because centuries ago, the area, that area of their ancestry was evangelized by Byzantine missionaries. So eventually they brought their Byzantine church and spirituality here to the United States of America, and I was born into that tradition, raised in it, just as anyone listening might have been raised as a Latin Rite or Roman Catholic all their life. Maybe your ethnic background is Irish or German or Italian. It's very common in the United States of America. You grew up according to the Latin rite because that was the prevailing rite in the lands of your ancestry. Well, in the lands of my ancestry, the prevailing rite was the Byzantine rite. There's one example then of how we come into these different jurisdictions and rites that make up the one and only Catholic Church, a church that breathes with both lungs. We're going to continue to breathe with both lungs today. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. 
Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, an Eastern Catholic priest and host of Light of the East Radio. As an Eastern Catholic, my spiritual and family heritage comes from Central Europe, a land that is all too familiar with religious persecution and assaults upon religious liberty. Precisely because of my spiritual and family background as an Eastern Catholic, it is with a certain credibility and urgency that I want to warn Americans of the danger of the recent health and human services mandate forcing religious institutions to do something against their consciences. Far from being just a simple piece of a government-inspired healthcare plan, the health and human services mandate springs from the same philosophies and worldviews that eventually led to the all-out persecution and assault on religious liberty in the areas of the world such as Eastern and Central Europe, Russia, and the Middle East. I am asking all of you to contact your government representatives and to support the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops in getting our government to rescind this unprecedented encroachment on religious liberty. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lowe, your host. And again and again, as we say in our liturgy, we say that during our litanies, we say again and again that in peace, let us pray to the Lord. So again and again, I will welcome our new listeners from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, on Catholic Community Radio, 1380 WPYR. And of course, a welcome and hello to all of our very faithful listeners from all over the country, even out of the country, all over the world. I mentioned that this is a very auspicious day to join us here at Light of the East because we're celebrating on this Sunday in the Byzantine liturgical calendar the Feast of the Fathers of the Seventh Ecumenical Council. Now, before the break, I was explaining a little bit about, kind of in a nutshell, what this actually means to have an Eastern Long of the Church or a Byzantine Rite or different rites of the Church. But one of the best ways to understand this is to experience them, to attend a church of the Eastern Rite. And if you're a Latin Rite, yes, it will satisfy your obligation. You can receive Holy Communion, especially if the church you attend is an Eastern Catholic Church. Now, Eastern Catholic churches, except for the Maronite Rite, all have an Orthodox counterpart. And generally, they're not going to give Holy Communion to you if you attend. They might, but generally not. However, in the Eastern Catholic churches, yes, you may receive Holy Communion. It satisfies your obligation. You indeed have attended a Catholic Eucharistic liturgy. In the Latin Rite, of course, they refer to it as the Mass. In the East, we refer to it as a liturgy. But as you experience it, you experience it also in its liturgical calendar, such as this Sunday. Now, this Sunday is very significant because the fact that we focus on one particular council gives you a glimpse, and those of you who are just joining us are very lucky you're joining us today, because it gives you a great glimpse into the soul of the Eastern Lung of the Church. There were seven great councils. In other words, these were the gatherings of theologians and bishops and priests that came together from time to time in the history of the Church especially in the first millennium of the church, the first thousand years, to kind of hash out and settle confusions or arguments about the teaching, the true belief of the Holy Trinity, and in particular, Jesus Christ. And most particularly, the issue of his two natures, that he is God and man. What does it actually mean? How do you balance the two? Is he just God 
Is he just man? How could it be both? So these were actually raging issues. We kind of take them for granted today. We have the creed at the mass and liturgy and so on. But, you know, these things were not settled back then. I mean, they were established, but there was a lot of confusion about them. And so the councils would gather together and they would set down what we believe to this day. So in the Eastern churches, the councils are very, very important. Now, the first six are celebrated all together on one Sunday during a liturgical year. But on this particular Sunday, we set one of those councils apart. As I mentioned, there were seven great councils. They all took place in the East. Seven great councils that laid down the basic precepts of our faith, especially in regard to the Trinity and the natures of Jesus Christ, that he is God and man. Now, the fact that this one last council, the Seventh Ecumenical Council, is set apart and celebrated specifically gives us this incredible glimpse, as I mentioned, into the soul of the Eastern Church. This council had to do with, believe it or not, icons, artwork. That's right. And the fact that it's set apart means that we think it's very, very special in the Eastern churches. Why would a council about artwork be that special? Now you're getting a real glimpse into the Eastern soul. Because the Eastern soul, Eastern spirituality, is based very, very strongly upon this whole idea of making the invisible God, the ineffable, inexpressible, incomprehensible God, visible through the physical order. In other words, that which is physical, whether it's a human being, a star in the sky, or paint on wood, or a mosaic on a wall, it makes real, it makes present the invisible God. In other words, everything, especially if dedicated to the purpose of worship, is sacramental. Sacramental means that everything participates in its own way in God. Everything reveals God, especially everything that God has created. Everything images God. Most importantly, of course, as the Bible tells us in Genesis, the human person. We are made in the image and likeness of God. We image God. And because Jesus Christ was the image of his Father in heaven, in other words, it was God incarnate, the image. We could see God in a certain way by the fact that we could see and touch physically Jesus Christ who walked on this earth who was man and God. Because of that, he images his Father, and therefore we too can make images of the image. Now, you may not think this is very significant, For centuries it was, and actually still is, because a controversy raged for centuries in the church, especially in the East, where they said, based on a misinterpretation of Scripture and a lot of other confusion about our faith, they said that you cannot make images of Jesus Christ. You can't make any paintings, no statues, no icons of the Blessed Mother, angels, nothing. And that controversy became very severe. It actually resulted in violence, and it went on for a long time. Now, why was this significant? Because if you deny the fact that we can make out of wood or paint or stone or whatever an image of an angel, a saint, a mother of God, of Jesus Christ himself, then you're at the same time denying that the incarnation took place. You're denying that the invisible God did in fact become visible by taking on flesh. The creator becomes his creation while remaining the creator. You actually deny that by denying our ability to express that reality in imagery. And to deny the incarnation is to deny everything. It's become a whole different belief, an anti-Christ belief, an anti-God, an anti-incarnation. I can't even think of enough things to call it. It's so terrible. And it was seen as terrible in the early centuries of the church. And so this council got together and they, and they 
set down the true belief. They said that, yes, we can represent the image of Jesus Christ, the Blessed Mother, the angels, the saints, all celestial powers and stars and dominations and principalities of heaven. We could, in fact, represent those things in whatever medium precisely because God himself represented himself through our own flesh. He made himself an image through our own flesh. Jesus Christ imaged his Father in heaven. We could touch God as we do in the Eucharist. We can become part of God. He unites himself with us and we with him in the Eucharist. So God's incarnation becomes something very, very real to us that we participate in in an entirely holistic way. Our bodies, our souls, our emotions, our thoughts, our whole being unites itself with God, not just part of ourselves. Our whole being unites itself with God, and that way we come to this intimacy that God designed for us, that he desires for us. And we proclaim that and affirm that by doing certain things such as designing churches a certain way, painting images a certain way, or sculpting them a certain way, making mosaics or stained glass windows a certain way that present and incarnate this faith and this reality of the incarnation. This is essential. It's more than just pictures on a wall. They're not just pictures. They're windows into heaven. They're actually mirrors. They're like two-way mirrors. Icons are like two-way mirrors. They see us. We see our own image reflected in them. And we also see into heaven. They're incredible, incredible forms of art, which is why they became canonized and blessed and, and set down as in certain ways to do them, how to pray before we do them. An entire council was brought together to defend the painting of holy images. If that was not defended, then the whole reality of our belief in the Incarnation was vulnerable to be rejected as well. And so the Council Fathers came together in Nicaea in 787 and set down this teaching once and for all that, yes, in fact, we could represent Jesus Christ, the angels, the Blessed Mother, all heavenly powers, the incarnation in imagery, that it was okay. This is so significant because this then gives us a vision of life. See, that's the important thing. Our vision of life, it is, if it is to be correct, if we are to approach anything correctly, it depends upon one thing. If we can see life sacramentally, we can see life as God sees it, as participating in him. Now, if that were the case, then ask yourself, how does that determine how you interface with whatever aspect of life you want to talk about? A human person. If you truly saw God, image, in a human person, could you hurt them? Could you kill them? Could you, want to, could you want to do anything bad to them at all? Wouldn't you be deferential, sensitive, compassionate, considerate, if you truly saw them as an image of Jesus Christ? How about the environment? How about government, politics? The economy, healthcare, any burning issue you want to talk about today, whether from the human person to the star in the sky to a healthcare plan for our country, everything needs to be seen through that lens of the sacramental, of how God reveals himself through that, how that particular discipline or person or creature 
or star in the sky participates in God. That's the soul of Eastern Christianity. And that's what the fathers of the council tried to protect in the year 787 from then until the end of time. And we thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Or hear it again for the first time. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road. Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. Oh.